From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. As 2019 drew to a close, protests spilled into cities from Hong Kong to Santiago, Paris to Tehran, from Khartoum to La Paz. People around the world flocked to the streets, often with handmade signs addressing their objections to policy changes, power grabs, and cutbacks. Images of those protests and those signs were posted and reposted online, often with hashtags amplifying their causes and their rage. The power of images to communicate disagreement is the subject of an exhibition now on view at the Museum of Design Atlanta. The Design of Dissent is based on a book of the same title, co-authored by two of the most prominent names in the world of design. Even if you don't know Milton Glaser, you've seen his I Heart New York campaign or that poster of Bob Dylan with a psychedelic pompadour. He is a legend in the field and the first graphic designer to win the National Medal of Arts. Milton Glaser, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And you've likely also seen the work of Mirko Ilic. His logos, his book covers, his movie titles, and his other work. He's a former art director for Time Magazine Publications and the New York Times op-ed pages and runs his own firm, Mirko Ilic Corp. Mirko Ilic, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So this book, The Design of Dissent, was first published in 2005. There's been a series of exhibitions in museums since. You both have a body of work behind us. You could do anything, advertising, book covers, but you chose Design of Dissent. What's the draw there? So much of the advertising we see and experience is nonsense or pernicious. Every time you can actually make a commentary and help people understand the world as it is, is a benefit to yourself and to your community. And I think what designers look for, certainly Mirko and myself, are opportunities where we can intervene in the role of the designer society to do something we feel has positive effect rather than simply encourage people to buy more stuff. Well, that's interesting. Coming from somebody who's a legend in advertising, is it dissent somehow antithetical to advertising? Let's not mix advertising with propaganda. <laughs> uh, posters about dissent are important because they allow individuals to express their feelings towards their government policy or injustice. Uh, also, they're important because we all think about that until we don't see image which one is addressing that issue, we feel alone. But once when you see somebody else is thinking as you, you feel better about yourself, you feel empowered. Well, George Orwell did say famously, all art is propaganda, not all propaganda is art. How do you place that in the context of political posters? The word art is so mischievous because it's functionally incomprehensible in terms of distinguishing between what is and what is not art. The only way to ultimately determine what art is is the consensus of history, which may take three or four hundred years. The role that art plays in our culture is somewhat ambiguous. It's used basically as a selling tool and as a decorative element to make people pay attention. So what you really are dealing with in communication is attentiveness. And very often it's not so much the message that people pay attention to, but the drama that encircles the message, the decorative qualities, the colors, the forms, and all the other devices that the people in advertising know how to use so well to engage them into 
affection and action. The role of most designers in culture is to help the culture sell itself, engaging more people in the act of negotiation to sell and to buy, and that ultimately at this moment in history has become extremely questionable. In fact, I would say that the worst thing that is happening now is the transformation of the world into a consumer society. So is that part of the motivation of picking up design and messaging that counters that? Well, one thing you begin to understand is that the world feels this, that the power structure of the world is out of the hands of most of the people in the world. They want to say something about it. So from one point of view, it is the truest expression of people's feelings that life is not the way it should be. And an attempt to uh, vocalize that and to express that idea, even though we see it contradicted by the power structure, people are beaten in the street, people are prevented from demonstrating, all the things that we would say demonstrates a democratic system and a democratic society have been violated in our time and go on even to this day. There are so many different causes that are represented here. There's environmental causes and climate change, LGBTQ rights, poverty rights. And, and you organized the book into themes like communism or guns. So how did you figure out what you wanted to include with so much, as it sounds like, that you have to say? Well, I, I think it would have been wrong for us simply to uh, express what we wanted to say. What we were attempting to do when Mirko and I started is kind of collect the consensus of what the world was saying at this moment in terms of different single issues, all related by the acts of power structures that were not in the best interests of the people, but they manifest themselves in so many different ways, pollution, the environment, global warming, political structure, and so on, and everybody has something to say that opposes all these negative impulses in society. And I think also people in different environments, they can see similarity of the problems. Because pollution or uh, global warming is not problem of United States only. It's problem of whole world. Hunger is problem of whole world. Because of that, people can see in different cultures, in, in different environments, how one group of people react on that. And, uh, for example, what is interesting, uh, this show, Design of Descent, in this point of time, is in Museum of Design in Atlanta, but in same time is in Casa del Lago in Mexico City. And same posters down both places that telling probably slightly different story, but actually they're telling similar story to different people. You are in this exhibition and in your book, for the most part, representing very progressive causes. Would somebody who didn't agree with you, who walked in wearing a MAGA hat to one of these shows, what would they see? Actually, when I send a call for people to submit work, I send a call to everybody. And uh, for one reason or another, only people who is, let's say, progressive on left responded to that call. Even we had few response, let's say, from other side, and they're in a book. There is, I think, spread in a book against Obama. And I will publish any credible and good work from any side, except for some reason we never got nothing from the other side. Because of that, maybe somebody who walk on show will think we are narrow-minded, but actually that is the work which only we got. 
My guests are Milton Glaser and Mirko Elich. We're talking about The Design of Descent. It's an exhibition based on their book of the same title, currently on view at the Museum of Design Atlanta. It runs through February the 8th. Both of you have been successful artists and in advertising and in other applications. Design, of course, integrates text and imagery. And having spoken with a lot of the artists who made this, do you have examples of how people decided that balance of what they're saying in their message or showing it? Or how have you achieved that? Well, it's a subtle question. The, the whole nature of how things are communicating is very complex. And it depends on language, of course, imagery, memory, uh, society at the moment, and so on. So there are a lot of factors involved. And they're not only linguistic, they were also visual. And if the visual stuff, you don't even know why people like certain things. Why do certain people prefer yellow over blue? Or why a round form over a square form and so on? And what is the combination of elements that add up to making people convinced they should have affection for a mark or a product or a, an idea? It's very complex, not susceptible to analysis, and always being an al analyzed in narrative terms. But the narrative is not the only thing that affects people's lives. The symbolic, the mythological, the memories, uh, the quality of light, all these things have a role in their effect on the neurons in the brain, and nobody knows sufficiently about them. They do know a certain series of tricks that seems to work, and by repeating those tricks over and over, you produce a kind of consensus. Do you remember, Milton Glaser or Mirko, the first image that you saw that kind of captured ideas for you, that just something clicked in your brain? I remember very vividly, and later I discovered Milton was part of that, when Amnesty International published a series of posters to raise fundings for Amnesty International. And some of those posters... That was just amazing. One of them, let's say, poster of uh, Roman Cislevich, two hands holding the clouds, just strike me as a powerful uh, and mighty like anything else. And those kind of images and power or effect which on the head on me kind of trigger me to create something what may be going to have similar effect on other people. Of course, that doesn't happen often, but when it happens, it's amazing. Mm. The thing that's most difficult to deal with is the fact that most people will not change their perception about anything. Everybody looks at things in terms of pre-existing realities for themselves and will not adjust to the reality that they are faced with. The fact that in global warming terms, nothing has been done at the eve of the end of the Earth is an indication of to what degree the power structures hold the minds of billions in a situation where they will not act appropriately, or if they do act, they feel it is pointless. What changes people's perception is one of the profound issues of life. But we do know that unless you change your perception of what is real, you cannot understand reality on any level. And the first thing to do for all of us is to acknowledge that we know very little about anything. There have been some very famous images of descent from real life. I think of the black-gloved fist in the air from the 1968 Olympics, or uh, now Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's collars have, uh, and RBG herself, those images have become symbols of a certain way of thinking and descent. 
Do you think images inspired from real life have a different power than concepts or, or graphics that are just completely made up? Uh, yes. Yes, because uh, there was thousands and thousands of pages of what is happening in Iraq prisons and about torture by American contractors, etc. And very few people react on that until they release those images from Abu Ghraib, especially image of hooded guy with spreaded arms standing on a box and attached to the electric wires. That image pretty much changed everything. That image became icon of that era and of that dark part of, of uh, our government. And it's question always to ask why. You know, maybe because he had spread arms and he looked like a Jesus and like a religious symbol. Who knows why, but that triggers something in the mind of people. One single image changed everything. Mm. Same like with image with with a Tiananmen Square a person with a plastic bag standing in front of tanks. Almost in every decade, you have one of those images which can change everything after. I, I do want to just point out Mirko was referring to the Iraq posters in the show from the New York Collective Copper Green using that image from Abu Ghraib. The arms outstretched, the hooded figure, uh, and making it look like an iPod ad. Um, it's not just the design of the thing. It's the intervention, I think, that Milton was talking about earlier, putting it in the place where it makes the most difference, the most impact. Yes, because, you know, it, it, what is lately happening, lots of designers do things for themselves and uh, put them in, in some local shows where it's just other designers that come in and pretty much it's becoming a little celebration of your uh, talent and whatever, but doesn't do any impact to society. You know, there, there are also some that play with images that we've already seen over and over again, like the Abu Ghraib hooded image. There's a For Freedom series. This is for, for from the New York artists Hank Willis, Thomas, and Eric Gotsman. I hope I'm pronouncing that okay. They take these Norman Rockwell-like paintings of the Four Freedoms. This was back from the, I think, 1940s. And then they play with those images with new, more contemporary images. Why did those speak to you? And why do you think they speak to us who are viewers? I don't know if they do speak to you. I don't know who they do speak to. I don't know who they change. I don't know who they just represents a restatement of their existing beliefs. Uh, the stuff is so obscure in terms of its effect. Persuasion is the role of advertising. The question that advertising never asks itself is what are the consequences of this work on the public it addresses? And that, of course, is the most significant question that could be asked. Am I doing harm should be the first thing that a designer asks. Who is being harmed? What is the effect of the society I live in on the work that I do? If you go to an advertising agency, you will never find anyone asking that question. The only criteria is how many did we sell today? And that criteria is not sufficient as the world is now telling us. How is the persuasion then of these posters, which are designed for some kind of effect, how is that different? Uh, I would say that when it's good and when it works and when it is not self-serving, it is different because it makes an alternative vision available to you. 
because up until now you had never thought of something. And your response to these things should be, oh, I never thought of that. The fact is that you are now seeing an aspect of life that has not been presented to you before and in fact has been denied by the culture. And here's a chance to see it. That's why they're so often transgressive and why they have to be transgressive in order to seize your attention. Most of the time, the stuff that you see simply confirms your belief in the existing condition. We're going to take a short break and be back with Milton Glaser and Mirko Alich. Their book, The Design of Descent, inspired a series of exhibitions throughout the world. It's now on view at the Museum of Design Atlanta until February the 8th. In the spirit of Milton's famous Bob Dylan poster, and in the spirit of dissent, here's Dylan's The Times They Are a Changin'. I'm Virginia Prescott. On Second Thought continues right after the break. This is GPB. And we're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Design is built into most everything we touch and interact with in our daily lives, from your coffee mug to your smartphone to your car. Aside from making products, design is key to selling them and to communicating ideas. Well, today we're talking with two giants in the advertising and graphic design business about how thoughtful arrangements of images and text can convey messages of opposition and often defiance to the status quo. Milton Glaser and Mirko Elich are co-authors of The Design of Dissent. Rotating exhibitions based on the book have been touring museums since. One is now on view at the Museum of Design Atlanta, or MODA. Sometimes posters for marches, for example, are commissioned. Do you think that you can sense a difference between a design that has been commissioned versus one that was made because of the artist's own motivations? I was on a big march, a woman march, which one was... uh in January, if you remember, when uh, Trump moved in office. And there was, here in New York, there was tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And one thing was beautiful. Everybody had his own sign. You saw by signs that are handmade. Everybody wrote kind of on a sign something what bothered them. And there was some beauty in those signs not being uniform, some being amateurish, some being very funny, but there was some nice diversity in those signs. And it was obvious that was not organized by somebody. One of the works included in the exhibit is from the Gorilla Girls, an interesting case where a group of female artists designed art to protest the exclusion of women from places like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. This ended up later being featured at the Met, some may argue that is a sign of success. Other feels it portray, betrays the countercultural roots of the movement. What happens when you design something so successful you do lose control over it? Well, that's a cosmic question, and it requires another 12 hours of conversation. <laughs> All I can say is every act has consequences, and very often the consequences are not what you anticipate. We also know that things move, that they go from left to right and right to left, that the pendulum is always swinging, and whatever you think is permanent becomes impermanent. So give up. Just say, accept what is. Or maybe in a thousand years we're going to have guerrilla boys creating posters against all these females being represented in museums and no man. Who knows? Well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna hold my breath for that one. I will tell you. <laughs> I have doubt too. You know, you've talked a lot about the ethics of design and and how 
design can be used to persuade an audience into believing something that maybe not be the full truth and maybe even much more, uh, I guess, pernicious. How do you encourage designers to think about the power that they wield and design ethically? In a very simple way, ask the questions that all doctors must ask. Do no harm. And if you feel you're doing harm, then admit it. You have to say, yes, I do harm. I want to send my kid to college and I want to have a bigger apartment. So I'm going to work in the agency and I'm going to tell people to buy things that may poison them. I admit it. I'm doing it. Okay, that's step one. Acknowledgement is step one. Step two is the commitment to feel that you have a role in society that's larger than yourself. I would love to ask both of you, just in closing, what advice you would give to a younger artist, so many who look up to you and would like to forge their own path in design, either in, you know, accepting their lot in advertising or somebody who wants to make design for dissent's sake. Um, quit the job, find something better to do. You know, I'm still coming to work uh, as often as I can, and I still love the work. And there's nothing more satisfying or more thrilling than seeing something in your mind and then transforming into something that's real in front of you. That transformation from an idea to a thing is still the most glorious thing that happens in my life. Milton Glaser and Mirko Ilich, renowned graphic designers who co-authored the book, The Design of Descent. That's also the title of and source material for an exhibition at the Museum of Design Atlanta. It's running through February the 8th. Details and images at gpbnews.org. Another effective form of protest, music, like George Perkins' Crying in the Streets. I see some 